Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. Great to be with you. So our theme today is the five marks of a godly, highly differentiated leader. The five marks of a godly, highly differentiated leader. This will be a part one of two, just because it is such a vast topic. Uh, And uh, what I'm doing here is I am combining the riches of Paul's clear instruction in 1 Timothy 3 in particular, and mentions also in 1 Timothy 5 and in Titus, that the qualities of a godly leader. Uh, And then I'm adding the word highly differentiated, which actually comes out of family systems theory, uh, but it's actually quite helpful way of looking at what Paul, I believe, is trying to get at here. So obviously scripture is God-breathed, it's our authority. and one of the wonders and in, in gifts of social sciences is it enables us to actually get a fresh lens to, to look at uh, some of the teachings of scriptures. So obviously the scriptures are authority, social sciences come and go, but family systems theory and differentiation in particular is a very helpful concept to get at uh, some of the riches found in scripture. So uh, this is hard work that we're gonna be engaged in here uh, in the crucible of growing into godly, highly differentiated leaders. But let me encourage you, this is hard to do, but it's even harder not to do it. But um, longing and praying that you will have the same experience I've had uh, over the decades here is that by engaging this material, uh, there's a freedom that God has for you. There's an easy yoke of Jesus to walk into as a leader. Uh, life actually becomes easier as you grow in godliness and differentiation. You become more congruent on the inside and out. Uh, you're less worried about what other people think. Your personal life, your family life is better. Uh, your goals become clearer, and you're better able actually to articulate them and, and reach them. And you're actually a healthier person emotionally, physically, relationally, spiritually, uh, and uh, your relationships in general are a lot cleaner. So there's so much benefit uh, in engaging in this, but I will not uh, uh, sugarcoat the fact that this is a, a serious task. And so that's why when Paul talks about uh, the qualities of an overseer or an elder in 1 Timothy 3, he calls it a beautiful, excellent desire and a wonderful task. Uh, but he's uses this word DEI in Greek, which is, but it's absolutely necessary that there are certain character qualities, that you're a certain type of person. I'm calling that godly, highly differentiated. Um, and Paul puts the weight of how we choose and people to be leaders in the church. He focuses on the character and the inner life of the person. Uh, and he actually says things like, don't be hasty on the laying on of hands, because this is no joke, uh, because he's concerned about how the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth, and how people ought to conduct themselves. And so God created us that there is a need for leadership. Uh, and again, more than ever today, uh, but the focus is not so much on tasks like being able to teach and being hospitable. Paul mentions a few of these, but most importantly, he focuses on character. So again, I'm going to bring these two together as we move into these five marks. But today I'm going to focus on two in particular. So let's just jump right in here. The first mark of a godly, highly differentiated leader is uh, they are clear thinkers, self-controlled, and not reactive. Say it again. So a godly, highly differentiated leader is a clear thinker, self-controlled, and not reactive. In other words, they're able to exercise choices. Uh, they're not caught up in the moment. So Paul says uses four uh, words in 1 Timothy 3 as he's describing the character of a leader. And he speaks of 
of them is one is clear thinkers. Uh, actually, the word is translated often temperate or sober-minded. In other words, they've got this uh, sense of a sobriety of judgment. They're they're self-controlled. They're not controlled by their passions or emotions. They're able to make decisions that are clearly thought out. They're self-controlled is the second word he uses, and that's the word for prudence or and thoughtful. Uh, they're in, they're these people are in charge of their attitudes. They're not tossed to and fro by the winds of emotions or other people. And they're responsive, not reactive. That's the thrust in that one. The third word he uses, they're to be dignified or respectable, uh, depending on the version, how they translate that. And basically, it's a person worthy of respect or, or uh, they're decent. It's how they carry themselves. Again, they're not controlled by passions and emotions. They're not screaming. They're, they're talking. Uh, and then he uses another phrase, they're not violent, but gentle. In other words, this is a person who can express themselves clearly uh, without kind of explosive anger. Uh, they're not quick-tempered, uh, but they're gentle, they're meek, they're broken of heart. And uh, so again, this, Paul lays out these, these, these adjectives, describe that the must qualities for leadership, and I'm, I'm calling it godly, highly differentiated, because they're clear thinkers, self-controlled, and not reactive. Now, in family systems theory, they talk a lot about, talks about it's not expertise that makes a leader. It's not their gifts or abilities or talents. It's their self-differentiation. In other words, their ability to maintain a, a non-anxious presence in the midst of a lot of pressure. Uh, they're integrated. They have a solid sense of themselves. And they're able to reflect and not react. They can maintain their, a, a person who's highly differentiated. Uh, really, it's like Paul's laying out here, clear thinker, self-controlled, dignified, not violent, but gentle. They, they are, they're able to maintain their interior life, their feelings, their thoughts. They know where they end. They don't and know where they, be, where, they be, where they end and where other people begin. They're free from other emotional entanglements. Uh, a highly differentiated person is able, able to self-soothe and self-confront rather than blame uh, other people. So Murray Bowen said it best. He, he said, the power of all leaders resides in their presence, the nature of their being, not their gifts. And then the key to leadership, therefore, is not managing other people first. It's managing yourself. And I love that. And, and uh, my best, simplest definition of differentiation is remaining connected to people, yet not allowing my reactions or behaviors to be determined by them. So great examples of, of highly differentiated godly leaders in Scripture uh, are people like John the Baptist. I mean, John the Baptist, uh, for example, in John 1, when he was being challenged, you know, who are you? Are you the Christ? And, and he's a, he will say, no, I'm not this. I'm not the Christ. I'm not Jeremiah. I'm not a lie. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm the one who's going before. He's very clear. This is who I am, and this is what I'm doing, and I am not these other projections you're laying on me. And he's very clear, calm, and not reactive about it. And Jesus, in the same way, again, uh, he's 100% differentiated. He's uh, even at the age of 12, we read in Luke 2 that uh, he stays at the temple for three days and uh, asking questions with the rabbinical scholars. And his parents come to him and they search for him and they say, Jesus, you know, where, where are you? And he goes, why are you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? And he, he's, he's submitted to his parents, but yet he's got a sense of uh, he's in my father's house. He's got a call from the father on his life. So he has a deep sense of himself, a sense of definiteness. And we see this in, in the Gospels. And at his baptism, he gets a clear sense of identity that he's loved the father. And he's a great model of a, he's got a solid self, non-negotiable, and he's able to lay that down for the world. And so uh, a highly differentiated leader 
with a solid self is able to say, this is who I am. This is what I believe. This is what I stand for. This is what I will do and will not do uh, in any given situation. And so I've got some clearly defined beliefs and opinions and principles that I live by. The problem is that all of us have a certain level of a false self or a, a, a pretend or pseudo self that's created when we were growing up it's from the pressure of uh, other people. And we can be like actors uh, in life, uh, projecting different personages to, to people around us, kind of imposters around us. I, I, I love this old movie that was made by Woody Allen called Zelig. And uh, in this movie, uh, Zelig uh, is a, Leonard Zelig is his name, he's the main character. Uh, the movie traces his life and he's, he's a chameleon. In other words, he, he becomes whatever the environment is like around him. So for example, Leonard Zelig becomes a celebrity in the 1920s. Uh, due to his unique power and ability to look like and act like whoever's around them. So he, he, uh, he becomes African-American, he becomes an Indian, he becomes obese, he becomes Chinese, he becomes Scottish, you name it, Zelig becomes it. He's a human chameleon who has no self of his own. He is whoever he is around. So he jokes, uh, he's with Hitler, for example, on the speaker's platform at Nuremberg. He uh, with the Chinese, he's straight out of China. With rabbis, he, he grows a, a beard and side curls and dresses like a Hasidic. With psychiatrists, he repeats their jargon and strokes his chin as if he was a psychiatrist. At the Vatican, he's, he's one of the Pope's clerical cardinals. He, he, he As a chameleon, he changes colors and accents and shapes based on the world around him. He conforms. Uh, he only wants to fit in. He wants to be accepted. He wants to be liked. He is famous for being a, no, a non-person. A nobody. So the less a person is differentiated, the more fake self one has. Uh, you know, basically, I, I have to change so you like me and I can feel good about myself. So uh, Bowen in Family Systems Theory developed a scale of 1 to 100 and basically said that most people are between 25 and 50 on a scale of 1 to 100, which is most of ourselves is a pretend self and we get a sense of who we are based on what other people say about us. It's reflected from other people. And if there's not a lot of anxiety, we're, we're fine. But we often will imitate other people and change ourselves uh, and our opinions and beliefs to gain acceptance from other people. And often we say we're about one set of principles, but we actually do another. And when people compliment us, our self-esteem soars. When people criticize us, we get crushed. Uh, and under stress, we often make poor decisions because we can't think clearly, our emotions flood us, and our goals aren't coming from the inside out, they're often coming from the outside in, and we often can't state our beliefs clearly without putting other people down. So uh, it's interesting how, uh, when you look at, again, if Jesus is 100% differentiated, this issue of being a clear, a clear thinker, self-controlled and not reactive, uh, which Paul talks about in 1 Timothy 3, uh, it, it also found in the early writings of the desert fathers and mothers and the church fathers. So, for example, in the uh, <clears throat> one of the famous, uh, there's a number of very famous stories from the sayings of the desert fathers about bearing insults and the importance of watching or how you react when you're insulted by people. So, one of the stories goes like this: a, a, a brother, someone had praised a, a fellow monk to uh, the great Anthony, Abba Anthony. And so when this monk came to see Anthony, Anthony wanted to see how he would bear insults. 
and he found out that the guy could not bear insults at all. And uh, even though he'd been praised by other people, he was very fragile on the inside. And so Anthony says to him, you are like a village that is magnificently decorated on the outside, but destroyed from within by robbers. In other words, because this monk, who everyone else thought was fantastic, was so highly reactive and easily triggered by criticism or insults, um, basically... Anthony says, you're, you're not mature. <laughs> you're not godly. And that there's so many other Desert Father sayings like that. It's really fascinating. W what a way to uh, test leadership, start insulting people. So what does it look like when we say a godly, highly differentiated leader is a clear thinker uh, and self-controlled and not reactive? Let me uh, give you a few examples here. There, there's, so there's a time between when you're basically challenged and and your and the way you respond. In other words, you've got options to respond, and you're able to break reactivity. You're not easily hurt and touchy. So, for example, you come to me and say, "Oh, Pete, that podcast last week, man, it really needed some work." So, I'm like, "Oh my gosh, get lost, you idiot!" I or I start making excuses. I was under pressure. You have no idea. You know, I, I, so much was going on. I wasn't feeling well, etc. This was going on in my family, but I immediately start reacting. Uh, with that criticism versus let me calm down, uh, let me listen, uh, tell me about it. You know, what was not helpful about the podcast to you? Uh, where might you have improved it? Uh, but slowing down and getting clear and controlled and not reactive would take a bit of, a little bit of time. Uh, or someone comes to you and says, I'm leaving the church, uh, the church uh, or ministry that you're leading stinks. May your body gets flooded, and you say you say back to them, "You stink," <laughs> you know, or or you know what? Sorry to hear that. Uh, and and maybe maybe you maybe you beat yourself up that uh, you know everything's wrong, and you start going down a road of self hate and self loathing. Uh, that's one option. Or you can, again, a godly, highly differentiated leader is a clear thinker, self controlled, not reactive. You kind of calm down, take a few deep breaths, and you say, "Okay, well." Uh, you're leaving the church and you say the church stinks. Tell me about it. Uh, what stinks? Uh, what's not good for you? And, um, you know, why do you feel like God's leading you perhaps to another community? I had a situation uh, a number of years ago that uh, where the pastors in our city would, in our region, would gather for a three day event every year. And I went in the early years. Uh, but once I began to slow down and shift some of my priorities, I realized that you know three nights away from family was not good for me or my family or my priorities. I had values of, again, the pace of which I was living my life, uh, marriage, uh, a contemplative life. And I realized that I, I didn't want to go anymore. I wasn't, I, I didn't want to go. It wasn't good for me. And so I remember trying to explain it to the leadership because I, I, I was, and I ended up being judged and misunderstood as kind of rebellious by some, or independent, not a team player with a larger city pastors, and uh, and it, it was kind of a relationship that I kept over the decades. But I recognized not everyone fully understood what I was doing, but I was able to accept that I was going to be misunderstood by some, and it was okay. I've also had uh, multiple times over my years of leadership where I end up ended up in a relationship uh, 
pastorally or in leadership where a person became overly dependent on me. I've got three names here right in front of me. Uh, and again, out of my family of origin, it's easy, easy to overfunction, uh, easy to um, uh, get people dependent on me, rescue people. And having to basically separate myself or saying, you know, setting a boundary, uh, not reactively, but clearly so that um, I can lead and they can grow up was really important and to me on the inside and for them in their own development. Even working with consultants, and I always believe in working with consultants, bringing them in along the way to, to give objective feedback outside the system. But I found over the years that with each consultant, there's a season where it's over. In other words, there's a time when it's over and I needed to end it um, with a particular consultant perhaps. It's just easier not to end it or do the hard work of thinking through, okay, is this really working as it did maybe two, three, five years ago? Is it working today? And do I need to bring an end to the contract? Uh, it's, e it's easier to not bring an end to it and just keep going rather than have difficult conversations. Even a speaking engagement, I, you know, my wife and I had a speaking engagement a couple of years ago with friends of ours you know, in a different country. And uh, the initial engagement was very, I guess I'll call it simple. We were like, sure, we can do that. And then as the time got closer, it got more and more complex. And they were asking for more and more things from us. And it was growing to consume more time than we had originally committed to. And uh, we realized we had to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with the leader of that ministry and saying this was not the agreement that we made, and you may have been making some shifts because of COVID and all that, but uh, we're not going, we're not willing or able to do that uh, with you. It was a healthy no, um, and it worked out well. So again, to be a godly, highly differentiated leader uh, is to be a clear thinker. It's self-controlled. It's not reactive. It's, it's to be able to stay apart from the emotional situation around you and actually work on yourself. That's why I always say I'm the most difficult person I have to lead. It's me. If you've ever seen the movie Temple Grandin, Gandon, it's a fantastic movie. It's actually a book as well. And it describes a young autistic uh, girl who uh, overcomes her limitations of autism and, only, and the challenges that come with that. This is in the 1960s when so little was understood about it. She goes to high school, college, eventually becomes a professor and an author. It's an amazing story. But uh, Temple Gandon created this squeeze machine or a hug box, she called it. Because she was autistic, she's hypersensitive um, to, to to stimuli and stress around her. So when she would get find herself getting you know triggered, she would go to this squeeze machine and let herself get hugged by it to calm her down when she was when her nervous system was overloaded. And I just love the image because I get sometimes just like we all do overstimulated and find myself re getting reactive and my body gets all tensed up and I've got to get to, a, in a sense, a squeeze machine to calm down so I can think clearly uh, and not get reactive. And uh, to me, that's what uh, a rule of life is all about. It's interesting because Temple Gandon actually, she didn't just revolutionize her own life, but she actually revolutionized the treatment of animals uh, by creating a pathway for them to, to avoid needless stress and agitation uh, in their own lives. It's really quite amazing. She it wasn't just her own life. She she got self-control. She helped animals around her for a living as well do that. But to me, a rule of life does that for us. In other words, we all need a pathway, a squeeze machine that enables us to live calmly with Jesus under stress and pressure, especially unnecessary stress and pressure. 
That's why I want to invite you uh, again this uh, this week uh, to go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash rule and check out the free downloads that we have on how do you craft a rule of life for yourself. Uh, you'll see a, a sample of that. Um, actually, my, my rule of life, I lay on a sample in a free video that's there and some some handouts. But it's also a sample rule of life that if you get clear on your own values and and what you want for your team, it's, it's an example of what I created for our pastoral team uh, a number of years ago. And again, as you get clear inside of yourself, you're able to get clear for everybody around you. So check that out at emotionallyhealthy.org slash rule. But before I go to point two, I got to make one more note about anger. Because if we're going to be highly differentiated and godly, we've got to be able to and, and, and clearly think and not be reactive. We've got to get a good handle on, on anger. Now, the way we do anger was learned from, by most of us in our families of origin. And uh, that's what you observed. That's what got imprinted on your brain unconsciously that this is how it's done. Uh, so we all have different ways of expressing or reacting to anger. Um, I know for myself, I was a total stuffer. There was a lot of anger and un, uh, uncontrolled rage in my family. So uh, as a young kid, it was you would have stuff it, you know, repress it. And I felt a lot of shame when I had anger. Then when I came to Christ, um, <clears throat> again, anger was considered sin. So it just it just further was stuffed down. And it wasn't until I got on this journey of EH discipleship that I began to feel uh, and to begin to process anger in a healthy, mature way, then realizing, oh yes, anger can be a gift. It's a biological reality. It's an emergency response to pain and danger. But God, it's built into our humanity and our uniqueness. And not to feel anger ever is to deny being a human being. And so part of you know following Jesus, accepting anger is a feeling that's a biological reality, and it can be a gift. We can't will it away, but we have to integrate it. And we have a lot of choices of how we can uh, understand it and how we can express it in a mature way. Uh, I love Aristotle's quote. It's one that we've used for years. Uh, and he says this, anger, anyone anyone can be angry, Aristotle, Aristotle says. That's easy. But to be angry with the right person to the right degree at the right time for the right purpose and in the right way, that is not easy. And so that too is a discipleship issue for all of us in leadership. All right, let me move to the second uh, quality of a godly, highly differentiated leader. <clears throat> and that is a godly, highly differentiated leader <clears throat> is clear on their values, their goals, and direction. In other words, again, they don't have a reflected self. And we see that, for example, in David, in 1 Samuel 17, uh, as, he, as he charges Goliath, uh, he's able to get you know clear on his values, his goals, his direction. Even though his family and Saul as the authority figure are putting him down and said, you can't do this, and Goliath is putting him down, he's able to take off Saul's armor. He's clear about his values, his goals, and he charges Goliath. He, he breaks through as a king into a whole new level of worship, a whole new way of leading the country out of a, you know, with, with singers and worship at the center and the Ark of the Covenant in the center of God's people. It's really quite an amazing story, but he's clear in his values and his, goal, and, and his goals and his direction, and he breaks through. Same thing with Moses. Uh, in Exodus 32, we look at his life. He's just, he's a breakthrough, highly differentiated, godly leader <clears throat> uh, who's clear about the direction God's called him to take his people. It's interesting, Timothy, in 1 Timothy, he has all these false teachers trying to pull him off track. Uh, and we too have other people with all their expectations of us and the winds flying around us, pulling us off track. But high, highly godly, godly, highly differentiated leaders 
are clear. This is my values, this is what God's asked me to do, and this is where we're going. In my own devotional life, just as you know, past two weeks, I've been in the Gospel of Luke, and I was reading, uh, I was in chapter 8 of Luke, and it's a story of a demon-possessed man, a demoniac, uh, gets miraculously delivered by Jesus. A legion of demons come out of him. It's a dramatic deliverance and conversion. The townspeople are <clears throat> totally in awe and astonished. They want Jesus to leave. They're so frightened of his power. And then the demoniac, who's now in his right mind and dressed and sitting with Jesus, he begs Jesus, let me come with you. He wants to be a disciple. And I thought to myself, if I was Jesus, hire this guy. Uh, yes, you can come with me. In fact, you're going to be in the testimony. Uh, you're going to be on the speaking circuit. I'm going to make a video of you. We're going to use your testimony uh, as I travel and speak as a testimony to the power of the kingdom of God that is here. Uh, but Jesus says no to him. No, go back home. And that, after that, he heals Jairus's, uh, at the same time, he heals Jairus's daughter. Jairus is a synagogue ruler. And I would have brought Jairus. He could have brought Jairus on the team and bring him on tour as well. And then actually bring the woman with the issue of blood as, uh, also. But he doesn't because he's clear on his values, his goals, his direction, that the kingdom of God is a mustard seed. And he focuses in chapters 9, 10, 11, he's sending out the 12. He's working with the 12. He's battling with them to get the nature of who he is as the Messiah. They're fighting about who's the greatest. They're, they're, they can't heal a boy with an evil spirit. They've got unbelief. And Jesus is just working with them, discipling and focused on these 12. And I'm thinking, no, bring the demoniac with you who's been delivered. Put him up. The crowds are going to be immense. Uh, but he doesn't adjust his strategy. He doesn't get seduced uh, into secondary things. He, he focuses him. He's going to Jerusalem. He's going to the cross for a crucifixion. He's going to resurrect for the sins of the world. And we're here today because Jesus uh, was clear on his values, goals, and direction. Again, the solid self says, this is who I am. This is what I believe. This is what I stand for. This is what I will or will not do in any given situation. Jesus is 100% a solid self. That's what we want to be by the grace of God. And uh, this is, again, it's not expertise or skill or knowledge that makes a leader, but it's their self-differentiation before God. And so thus we can, a leader, a, a godly leader can is not determined by just the forces around them. And, and we want to be get comfortable in our own skin. And I want to invite you to get clear about what's God's vision for your life? What values has he put inside of you? And that then you're able to speak up and, and lead and go forward from that place. And you can have difficult conversations. Um, but you have something inside of you that we often call the Rosa Parks decision. I cannot not do this. In other words, I, 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 this, is, this is me, how God's made me. <clears throat> you know, in some ways, every, every day and week since I've got on this journey of emotionally healthy discipleship, <clears throat> uh, I'm focusing and working on what kind of leader has God made me to be. And uh, there's lots of forces seeking to mold me to be a different kind of person. I said, no, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm artistic, I'm intuitive, I'm creative, I'm a communicator, I'm a writer. But what, what's God's invitation to me and how is that to unfold in my short earthly life? And uh, the great challenge as an Enneagram 4, I go up and down emotionally in one day, uh, is to be myself and uh, as God intends, wherever it might leave, not to be somebody else. So I'm not against other people or proving something against other ministries. I, I can affirm them. The key is that I'm, I'm not finding myself by putting you down, which is so easy to do. People find themselves by envying other people or judging other people. Or, uh, but what I need 
just like we all need, I need space. I need the silence, the solitude, the space to get clear um, and to stay clear uh, because lots of fog comes my way just like it comes your way. Even the kind of, for example, ministry that we're developing here at EH Discipleship, you know, we're, we're building with some values and simplicity and focus and not to get pulled off track through other invitations. I've got to monitor our, our ministry's pace, our being and our doing, and uh, over and against all the opportunities that, might, that are coming our way. And there are moments I say to myself, am I crazy? Are we, are we going backwards? And it's, it is solitude, it's silence that anchors me in that. And, and uh, so, boy, there's so much more I, I can say about this. And, and so next week, we'll, we'll get into the three other aspects of a godly, highly differentiated leader. The third one is that we don't, a highly differentiated leader does not split or idealize or judge others. A godly, highly diff- differentiated leader, number four, allows others to grow up and experience their own pain and doesn't overfunction to take it away quickly. And then finally, a godly, highly differentiated leader is a non-anxious present. They function as a circuit breaker who lowers the voltage of activity. Wow, it's a lot, isn't it? So again, we'll pick this up. But let me invite you again to go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash rule and to look at the free downloads that are there to help you create the kind of space and solitude uh, and context and squeeze machine that you need so that you can be the kind of godly, highly differentiated leader that Paul's talking about in 1 Timothy 3, regardless of the pressures that are around you. So may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine on you. And may God give you the grace to create the space that you might hear his voice for your life And you might do it his way and in his timetable. In Jesus' name, amen. Blessings, everybody. Have a great day.